We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kearney. Joining me for this episode is Leave You Bird. Leave You is the former Kitsap Pumas head coach, current Seattle United coach. He's got a UEFA B license, heavily involved in the analysis side as well. So we want to talk about Marcelo Bielsa and Spygate particularly. Brought a lot of controversy, a lot of talking points to social media and the football world last week. Was it right? Was the response good or bad? The PowerPoint? What can we take from it as coaches? So we also tie in opposition analysis and then particularly its role in the US, high school, college, club. Love to hear your thoughts on this as always, at Gary Kernin on Twitter, at Gary Kernin on Instagram. One or two views from both of us that should should get a response. So look forward to hearing your thoughts. I'm going to write a blog on this on the, on the website as well, modernsoccercoach.com. So look forward to hearing from you. Enjoy. Leave you. Thanks so much. For joining me today on the Modern Soccer Coach podcast, excited to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Wanted to get you on for a while, and then of course with the Bielsa stuff last week, you were right on the email to say let's chat about it. So I thought, what better way to start something that had people arguing all over the world? I've got to kick it off. Do you think it was out of order with him spying on another training session? Yeah, that's it's an interesting question. Obviously, everything kind of surrounding it has—it's uh, just kind of got your head spinning for a couple of weeks, and then you know he comes out with his with his big presentation. Um, it, it's it's definitely not something that we're used to in, I guess you could say, the English-speaking world. This idea that you know you, it's an accepted practice to spy on uh, an opponent's training session. Um, you know, it's it's something that's done all over the world, except for I mean, I, I haven't heard of it done in the U.S. or or obviously in England until now. Um, so I don't I don't know. I, I still am not 100 percent on on where I land in terms of whether it's right or wrong. I'm in a, in a way, I don't know if I even believe that there is a right or wrong. It's just kind of it's the way things are done everywhere else. And with this being Bielsa's first job in England, you know, it's he, he seemed to why would he change the way that he's done things just because he's coming to a new country? So um, would I do it? No, but then again, I, I I'm from here. So it's, you know, it's not something that is generally acceptable here. So maybe it's just uh well, I think definitely it's, it's a, it's a cultural thing. Whether you believe it's right or wrong will depend on where you land on, on that kind of spectrum. Yeah. Brilliant. So we're going to come back to that at the end because I'm going to throw some of my thoughts on it as well. Things that I was really excited by and enjoyed watching and things that actually frustrated the life out of me after the the presentation and the game at Derby and the Twitter kind of feedback on it as well. So we'll go back to that at the end. But on the scouting and analysis piece, you know, you're obviously big in that area. How would you describe your philosophy there, especially with your work with Kitsap? Yeah, so I, I think I'm 
I'm very process oriented. I think I always have been, even as a player, when I was thinking of, you know, I was a goalkeeper. So it was, okay, how do I make this particular save? What's the, you go from A to B to C in terms of your technique and you do, you know, we go through the process. So I've always really been process oriented. And even when, when the result is good or bad, I always look back and say either, yeah, I did well or I didn't do well, but not based on the result, you know, based on kind of that process. And, you know, I think a big, big part of it is for me is, you know, a coach as a coach, your job is to kind of take as much fortune out of it as possible. Meaning you, you, and I guess this kind of goes back to what Bielsa was saying as well, where you go back as and do as much as you can to give your team the best probability to to do well and to win a match so you take as much as much as you can to take the the role of luck out of it um obviously there is luck still involved in the game and you know the, you never know what might happen in in a lot of areas but as much as you can you have to try to look at it objectively and uh, and based on kind of what's your game model you know, you look at the, your principles of play and and how can you exploit what the other team is doing? And um, and can you I don't really I'm not a big believer in focusing too much on the opposition. So I don't think it's so much, you know, here's what they do. Well, we have to completely change what we're doing to stop them. I think it it, it go, it's part of the, the puzzle that you're putting together and when you're preparing for a match. So it's, you know, what do they do and how does our game model fit into the way that they do things so that we can have success against them. So basically you're looking for patterns um, uh, in the other team, whether they're intentional patterns, meaning maybe the way they build up and, and kind of trained and rehearsed patterns, or whether it's an unintentional pattern, like, uh, Hey, the right back is really uncomfortable um, with the ball. You know, can, can we press him and, and can we get, can we maybe exploit that area? And that's probably an unintentional thing, right? The guy's not trying to be uncomfortable on the ball. Maybe he's just, for whatever reason, is uncomfortable. So um, I think a lot of it goes into, you know, pattern recognition and, and looking for various things that, again, can can then be fit into your game model as opposed to just focus solely on what the opposition's doing. Yeah, that's really interesting that you're actually open and saying, confident to say that, you don't focus a lot on the opposition. You do, but you don't, because getting that balance right. I remember this is this is when I started coaching in college at Wingate. The Vilas Boas document was leaked, not leaked. I think it was published in a newspaper, and it was this big dossier of information that he collected for Jose Mourinho. And of course, me being a young coach, I looked to copy it and watch the opposition play and presented this. 45 minute analysis with my team the next day and they were bored to tears <laughs> you know it's getting that it's getting that balance right isn't it between stopping the opposition and then you know what you're going to take to beat the opposition yeah and i think a lot of it is i think it goes in any sort of profession but as coaches we want our players to know that we're working hard and and we want our players to know that you know, to think that we're smart and that we know what we're talking about. So, you know, we, we put all this work in and all this analysis and, you know, you watch however, however much video you watch and, uh, or games or whatever. And then the, the tendency is, okay, now I need to give all the players all of this information so that they know that, you know, we're prepared. 
and it's it's you know things that it's it's things that you do that don't really have an impact on on all the players so they don't need to know all that information you need to know it probably but they need to know the most important parts of it so you're right it's it's that balance between you know, we still want to make sure that we're playing our game and that we're focused on our principles and the things we want to do, while at the same time understanding that the game is 11 v 11 and there's going to be somebody else with a different colored shirt lining up against us. So it's you, you obviously don't play in a vacuum. So it's it's a really it's an interesting balance. Uh, that's another social media trend. You know, we complain about players on social media, but you know, how much do coaches use social media today to? to promote that they're actually working and very smart. So different. That's a different podcast. Um, yeah, absolutely. I agree though. <laughs> the, the information I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by how it's presented to the players with different people, uh, different cultures. You had Bielsa with the PowerPoint a month before I watched the Sunderland with Simon Grayson and he used a flip chart that was, he was absolutely destroyed for uh, what's your medium that you like to use and that you find effective in presenting information? Um, I fall more onto the PowerPoint side of the scale. So sometimes it'll be, you know, I feel like modern coaches need to, to be willing to use technology. And it's, it's obviously something that we, we get in our coaching courses. Now, if you don't know how to use a computer, you, you can't pass a coaching course basically. Um, so for me, it's it's kind of PowerPoint based, but within that I'll have different animations. So it's kind of like drawing on the whiteboard, but or a flip chart, but it doesn't really get messy and it doesn't look, uh, you know, it doesn't look like there's a million lines all doing the same thing. So you can do different animations and you can even put video inside of a PowerPoint and a little bit of text. I think, you know, embracing that technology is is important because, you know, especially if you look at the players these days they're very used to looking at a screen so they're used to watching videos they're always staring at their phones you know their uh, screens are are kind of an ever-present part of our society now especially for younger players so i think using that uh, is is important and then obviously going on on the field as well and uh, after you've presented the information you know you set up a, a training session that that will hopefully mimic or or help them see what they're going to see on match day, but see it in training first so they can work through the various problems also, you know, on the field rather than just seeing it. Cause you can't just do, for me, it's not just one or the other. You have to, as much, as many different things that you can do will appeal to different players, learning styles, and, and will hopefully ensure that everybody's comfortable when they line up at kickoff on, on a Saturday. Yeah, you mentioned cultures at the start there. I think it's I think it's really again interesting, fascinating, challenging when you're dealing at college level here or at the pro level that, that you've worked at, that you have players that have limited exposure of tactical analysis. Yes, they've been used to a screen, but some of them have been used to a screen with a Netflix show on it, not necessarily an analysis piece. So how did you, how do you balance given that crucial information with overloading them with too much? Yeah, I think at the college level and the, you know, the, the summer leagues, like the PDL, the MPSL that I've coached in, a lot of it is still about educating players. So just like they're learning, still learning to play and, and hopefully looking to break into that higher level kind of professional game, I feel like 
you have to give them the tools to be able to do that. And part of that is being able to take this information on board and understand it and, and being able to use it. And a lot of it is creating an environment that's open enough that if a player is struggling with, hey, I saw all of this, I, I still don't really get it. Can you maybe explain it to me individually or can we go through it a little bit slower? Um, so I, I think that's that's part of it with, with players who, like you say, aren't used to, to that kind of information at this point, which, you know, hopefully after a few few games, if you go through the same process for every game, which is something I would recommend is kind of making it generally the same framework. You know, maybe one day you work on the attacking side, the other day the defensive side, third, the day before the game, maybe you look at set pieces or, or whatever. Um, then I think that would help. That helps players kind of get into the process because it's it's the same process every time. So they'll understand, okay, today we're doing this, tomorrow we're doing this, the day after is this, and that'll help them uh, kind of grasp this this idea of opposition analysis and then using that again to inform the way we're going to play, but also recognizing that the principles and the things we want to do won't change. It'll just what the opponent presents will will tweak what our area of focus might be on a particular day or for a particular game. And then how's that analysis broken up? Is it the four moments in set pieces or do you have positional breakdowns as well? Or how do you go about that? Well, when I've done more formal reports that maybe the, the coaching staff looks at, or that is, you know, more widely circulated in the club, I will, I'll break it into, moments so the, the and also phases within moments so if you have your attacking looking at the attacking side you know you're building up um playing through the midfield and then chance creation and goal scoring so even within the the attacking and defensive moments you break it up into the different kind of areas of the game um and then defensively you know it's it's um how do they press from the front what is their their organization in the middle kind of the mid block and then protecting the goal and then transitions I think are they're quick enough that they can't really be broken down too deeply so usually just transition to attack transition to defense what are the general patterns and, and things that you notice and then set pieces as well corners free kicks wide central not necessarily looking at all of those things and, and again not presenting every single piece of information to the players just looking for things that are significant and then within that, even in those kind of more formal written reports, I'll do a, a positional breakdown or a, an individual breakdown. So looking at each player who we have information on or who we think might play and, you know, what, what are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? Do they have tendencies that we can exploit? Or do we have things that we need to be aware of that they do maybe particularly well that that we need to present to the players? So, you know, if a striker oh, he's all right-footed, then you tell your center back, force him onto his left, or, you know, just, just things like that that can be presented to the players. Again, trying to strike that balance between, you know, maybe we've done this report and we've we put together, you know, 20, 30, however many pages of it. You don't need to give that whole thing to the players. You pick out the pieces that are, are particularly relevant to maybe a unit of players, so the back line, um, or maybe an individual player based on who they're going to be playing against or who you think they're going to be playing against and, and present them just information that they know is important. Because if you give them a, an hour-long presentation, they're not going to know what to focus on. But if you tell them three things, then they'll know, okay, these three things I need to remember, they're important. 
this is a little bit of a who, why, where, and what of scouting. And the who, obviously, you do the reports yourself. But interested to get your thoughts on this. In college soccer, uh, Division One and Division Two, assistant head coach, when I've been involved in college soccer, every year the phone would ring during the week of people that you didn't know asking you for a scouting report on another team. And it blew me away why you would ask someone that you didn't know's opinion. You know, whether it's good or bad, that's that's irrelevant. It's just the lens at which they view the game. Would you take someone's information that you didn't know anything about and use it for a tactical plan that week? Yeah, it's it's funny, especially at the college level. You're right; it's really prevalent here that that, that happens. Um, and it, I've been on both ends of that, both the giving and receiving end of that. Um, and it's I have before, maybe not tailored a, a game plan completely to what somebody said, but maybe trusted what somebody said, what somebody told me, who I didn't know that well. And then you look at it on the day, and you go, "This is not necessarily that they're right or wrong, but like you say, everybody sees." things differently so maybe something that somebody sees they describe it one way when I see it I would describe it a slightly different way just based on the different things that you focus on so yeah it's 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 a really interesting uh, it, by the end now I, I kind of rather than asking people for their opinions or their scouting reports or whatever I'll ask them do you have video of your last game against this team or something like that if if I can't find it because that's that's a bit more objective that you can see it yourself rather than than you know, um, giving yourself over to somebody's subjective kind of analysis based on what they saw. I think timing as well is changing in the modern game. Again, limited analysis when I was a player and, and beginning to coach and everything was delivered. You spewed it out in the morning of the game or maybe the day before. On the heavy analysis side, when do you like to give that information and then begin to work on it? Uh, a lot of it will depend on your schedule. So the last, this past season with Kitsap, we had, I, I would say there was very rarely a week where we didn't have at least two, sometimes even three games. So you're looking at, you know, ideally you would have a full week, Saturday to Saturday. And then, you know, the the day before the game. So the Friday, you can look at maybe set pieces. The Thursday, you can maybe um, look at how the other team attacks. So you can work on the way you defend. And the day before that, that would be Wednesday, you could look at the way that they defend so you can work on the way you attack and, and present it more piecemeal like that. Um, and again, that's ideal. Um, and each each would be accompanied by, you know, maybe a five minute, 10 minute talk and a short video, something like that. But, you know, in reality, when you have multiple games and you look at college, right, you're playing Thursday, Saturday or Friday, Sunday you're not going to have as much time. So then it's even more important to really pick out what's the important detail that we're going to give our team. So generally, if, if I'm, I'm in a situation like that, it might even be just in a, in a pregame, pre-match talk where you say, okay, here's how they'll probably line up. It'll be a 4-4-2 or 4-2-3-1, whatever. Here's some general movement patterns. Their outside backs get forward or maybe their outside backs don't get forward. Maybe the wingers tuck in. You know, just general things that players can look for. Um, followed by, you know, any other memorable or, or specific or interesting things that they might do, maybe a, a corner kick play or, or a, a couple of dangerous players or whatever. And you can follow that up with maybe during the warm-up, you can pull a couple of players aside and give them individual feedback as well. 
um, kind of to the tune of what we talked about. We pull, pull the center back aside and say, hey, this guy likes to go to the left. You know, a lot of the time he'll, he'll go to his left. So just be aware of that. Or maybe he doesn't have a left foot or maybe he doesn't have a right foot, whatever it is. Um, so I think it's, it's really important to, to present things in, in digestible pieces. And really, if you don't have a lot of time, focus on what's the most important. What, what are things that, again, are just going to make us more comfortable in, in the game situation so that players aren't just walking onto the field and thinking, well, let's see what we get today. You know, you at least have an idea of, okay, this team's going to play this formation. Maybe they'll, these are the, some movement patterns I need to look for. And at least then they don't, they feel like they've sort of seen the game in their head before they've played it, at least a little bit. You mentioned earlier about the objective analysis. You said that you didn't judge based on scoreline alone. Where where do you judge the success of analysis when you rewatch it? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I think I think it's really important to to understand that results results aren't debatable, right? Results are what they are. It's, it's two numbers with a hyphen between it. So whatever happened, happened. And that's, that's the score. But I think it's really, it's a lot of us have a tendency and I've done it before in the past and I'm sure I still do it at times. And I try to catch myself when I do it, but you look back on a game and say, okay, we won two nil. So we must've played well. Um, and this kind of a, appeal to accomplishment, you know, appeal to success kind of fallacy is, you know, you, you might have won two nil, but you played poorly. You know, it's it doesn't really explain the method or the strategy behind it. So I, I think a lot of it for me, when you look back and, and you wonder whether you played well or not, a lot of it goes back to the game model for me. So you look at what are the things we're trying to accomplish? Are we trying to build out of the back? Are we trying to um, play diagonal balls from a center back to a winger? Are we trying to, how are we trying to get in behind? You know, what are the, the different things that you as a team want to do to have success? And then you can look back and say, you know, whether you did it or you didn't, and whether that led to, success in terms of the final score because sometimes I mean you saw this with with Pep Guardiola recently when when Man City lost to Crystal Palace and Leicester and people are saying oh do you need to change what's going on and and he's sitting there saying look Townsend scored a ridiculous goal from 20 plus yards what kind of analysis what kind of you know uh, what what kind of preparation is going to be able to keep that from happening you know so there, there's you have to be able to separate what you can control and what you can what you can change versus things that just happen in a game that like in the case of that Townsend goal by Crystal Palace I mean you just you just kind of tip your hat and say well well done that was a great goal when we were emailing back and forth you said when we beat Sac Republic in the Open Cup in 2016 all three goals were scored as a direct result of that analysis in areas we consciously wanted to exploit can you expand on that? Yeah. So I went back and I looked at that, that report that I drew up and, and thought back to the information that we presented the players. And one of the goals was uh, one of our left winger got in behind, took a shot, goalkeeper parried it, and, and it was put back into the, into the goal. So, you know, looking back at that, it was we, we talked a lot about their center backs and their one-on-one -on -one defensive ability and the way if, if we t attacked in an individual way that they would be able to stop us. But if we attacked with, with numbers, 
you know, we would have a more likely chance of success. So being being on the spot for the second ball, for the rebounds, that sort of thing. And it's again, it seems logical, right? No team is going to say, all right, here, give the ball to this one player and let him dribble through all 11 and score. So again, it's things that we notice in the opposition that we can then reinforce through the way that we want to play already. But now we can say, focus on these areas today. And the other one, another goal was our goalkeeper hit a long ball out of the back on a free kick. Uh, one of their center backs misjudged the header and it skimmed off his head and fell right to one of our players. And he was alone with the goalkeeper and put it in. And, you know, to a certain extent, that's yes, there was luck involved in that big time. But at the same time, we did in the report, we noted that, you know, sometimes service into the box, the they will struggle with. And sure enough, he struggled with that one. And, and our forward was opportunistic. He was on the spot and he put the ball in the back of the net. So luck, but also a, a decent amount of preparation for that one as well. And then, uh, you know, just talking about the fullbacks that uh, for Sacramento, they were really good at attacking through their fullbacks, especially on the right side. They had a guy, uh, Emra Clemento is his name. He was a Montenegro international and he was he was a good player. Um, but we we said, hey, he gets forward. He doesn't get back very well, very quickly. He's not the fastest. So maybe that's an area we can exploit down would be our left side, their right side. So uh, so that was one area that we we look to to exploit as well we'd win the ball can we get our wingers in behind can we get somebody in behind in that gap that the outside backs were leaving behind right away and you know, it led to a lot of it, it was a crazy game in a lot of ways there were 3-1 was the final all four goals were scored in a five minute period kind of around the 60th minute um but it was it was something that when we look back on it you know we, we felt really good about the preparation that we did and and we felt like we were we were in a very good position from the very beginning. Okay, let's go back to Bielsa. My thoughts, and I'm going to try and spark a little debate here, whether you agree with me or disagree with me. I stayed off social media for the obvious parts of engaging in a uh, hundred different arguments or being labelled one thing or another. Uh, and I actually enjoyed, you know, the content that was put out, the presentation, how people received it, how people talked about it. I found it really interesting. I thought Frank Lampard got a really, 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 really rough end of the deal because <laughs> I didn't think that Frank Lampard, I thought he was, I thought he did well. He stood up for his team, stood up for his staff. He dealt with it professionally, but up until after the game, he walked into the locker or he walked into the press conference. He joked and said, I'm not going to give a PowerPoint presentation. And everyone laughed. And I thought, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. But he then said, we have, a, we have analysis too, as do all managers. That's all you're getting. And then I thought, I have lost my Frank. Uh, not that it would bother him in the slightest, but... The fact of the message to the coaching community, I thought it was lost in the fact that it's not just analysis. Like, everyone has it. And that's what the argument that I found was really interesting. Eh, we all do it. But there's a level of detail that some people do it better than others. And what disappointed me on social media was the amount of people who just said, yeah, I do that as well. But if you were working at the level that Bielsa was working at, you would be up at the top. Agree or disagree? Yeah, I agree. I, I think you look at this spectrum, right? There, there's, I think we can safely say now, obviously, the one end of the spectrum is you do no analysis at all. There's, there's nothing. It's all based 
focused on your team. You don't even look at what the opponent is. I think we can safely say the opposite end of the spectrum. I don't know if it will ever go any higher is the level of detail that, that Bielsa has in his reports. Because there's stuff in there that, and he even said it himself, he goes, I'm never going to use most of this, right? But it's all here. And I think we can safely say that the level of detail and the amount of information that he uses is is just it's on another level from anything that I've ever seen at any level of the game. Um, and and mo almost everybody else, well, everybody else, because it's the spectrum, right, will fall in between there. And even, you know, again, you look at fixture congestion and things like that, you're never, I don't think, at the highest levels, if you're playing in four competitions or multiple competitions and you're you're playing twice a week, you're not ever going to get up to that level of detail in any any given report. But I think it was really, what's the word? I guess you could say it was really shallow of, of people to say, yeah, well, I do this too. You know, it's, it's kind of that like, oh, look at me. Um, I, I do this work as well, right? I, like you said before, it's like pe people trying to reassure everybody that they work too. Um, but I, I think there wasn't really as much of an appreciation for just the insane amount of detail that was put forth in, in what Bielsa showed everybody. And, and I think, like I said, in between there, even this report I did on Sacramento a couple of years ago, I think I watched three games. It was three recent games. I made sure they were home games and that they were, you know, using kind of similar players to what we would expect to see. And, you know, you really have to find a way to be efficient with your time. And, you know, unless you have a staff of however many analyst leads has, I'm sure, I mean, it has to be a lot. If you look at the level of detail in, in those reports, they have to have tons and tons of staff involved in that. Um, you're not going to be able to do that. So if it's one or two people who are doing it, again, focus your energy on the most important things and, and figure out what those most important things are rather than. I think if I if I had the reports that Bielsa did, I, I would just be on a bit of information overload. I wouldn't know where to look. I wouldn't really know um, what would be the most important thing because there's just so much in there. Yeah, I would be the same. Another aspect of it that you know made me raise my eyebrows was how actually excited people were by the spying element of it. That <laughs> you know everyone was like, "Yeah, I would do that too." Or you know, a couple of people said. I I do that. Like I go and drive to other people's practices and watch other people's practices. And again, you know, are we, are we going to go down a road? I'm all for like I want to promote the right values on social media, and and giving information and showing depth. That's what I I think it's great. PowerPoint that he did, absolutely brilliant. But are we in danger of going down a road where coaches are canceling their own practices so that they go and spy on the team down the road? Yeah, I think that's that's the the way I look at it as well. Is I don't really have an issue with with him doing it necessarily. It's not something that I would do, not because I think it's right or wrong, but because I would rather focus my energy on other on other things, right? And, and again, it's it's obvious that Bielsa himself wasn't standing there with a pair of binoculars. He sent somebody from the club to do it, and and there's somebody in the club who has that kind of you know they can they can use somebody's time and energy and whatever to go and and do that but i just i think again the message for me is that i'm i'm not as focused in that way on what opponents are doing because if you're that worried about what your opponent is doing then i think you lose a little bit of yourself in that 
Um, and even if you look at uh, somebody asked Guardiola about it afterward, he said, yeah, I mean, when I was at Bayern, you know, the sessions were open. People would stand up on the hill and be writing in their notebooks, whether it was, you know, other coaches trying to learn from him or whether it was opponents spying or whatever it was, you know, to a certain extent. I don't know how bothered I would be because if somebody's really that worried about what you're doing, they're not focused on what they're doing as much as they could be. At least that's that's the way I look at it. Yeah, I went a couple of years ago to watch a team train, and before the session, I was informed by the person who was chaperoning me around and and facilitating the visit that not to pay any attention to the first twenty minutes of the training session because it would be on a system that they would not be using. So my, obviously, response was, why would they not be using it? And they said, because we're training at this facility and we reckon that people are watching it. So we're going to... And I thought, that's really interesting, because if I did that with my team, they would play that way tomorrow. So <laughs> my, my point is that you don't... Like, you have to be... Context is always important, but... Surely an under-12 team does not need to be sitting and going through a dossier of 150 pages. Uh, am I right in that there, or do you disagree? No, I absolutely, 100% agree. It's, um, I read something in, I think it was Graham Hunter's book about Spain uh, when they won you know, the, the two Euros in the World Cup. And uh, he said you know, to get around that, that idea, because there were a lot of journalists and a lot of just people watching their training sessions uh, when Spain was working on, uh, you know, they were working on penalties. So that's one, one area where I think you can gain a, a very clear advantage if you manage to see what the other team's doing in preparation for, for a penalty shootout. So he, it was, Del Bosque was, was the manager at the time. He made sure that on one end of the field, there was something very entertaining and there was a small sided game of some kind or whatever was going on that everybody would be focused on. And very quietly on the other end of the field, players would kind of walk over one by one and, you know, have a, take a couple penalties or, or whatever so that they could, uh, they could work on that as well with this other kind of distraction. So a little bit of smoke and mirrors, you know, I think that would be a more useful way of, of trying to figure out how to, how to get around the spying rather than saying, we're going to do something that I never want you to do in a game, but we're going to train it. You just better not do it. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. I like that. Um, yeah. If you're a um, high school coach and bringing this back to club coaches and then trying to put some context on it, uh, number one, your advice on high school club on bringing an analysis with limited time and limited staff resources. What's your advice to them? Yeah, for me, with my club teams right now, what I do is I don't do really any preparation for the opponent during the season, during the league season, because that doesn't affect our placement for state cup or anything like that. During the state tournament itself, um, we will I'll focus a little bit more on, you know, hey, we want to get a good result. Obviously, everybody wants to win state cup. And I think it's part of a, a player's education and part of their development to learn how to prepare for an opponent as well and then be able to, to exploit what an opponent's giving you. So we'll look at, um, you know, the state, it's the state tournament. It's all teams that you will have played in the league or whenever. So we'll look back and say, all right, what do you remember about this team? How did they play? Go back and watch the video. Notice, you know, different things of how the, the player who's playing against you 
um, played and, and, you know, different things that the, the, the other team would do, that sort of thing. Um, but at the club level, I don't really, I don't really focus that much on it. We'll do some very, very cursory kind of analysis, but I would rather spend time analyzing our team than the opponent at the club level because it's about player development. So it should be focused for me on the players on your team and what they can do to be better, not necessarily what they can do to, to have success in one game against a particular opponent. At the high school level and, and you know, looking at it, maybe even like the community college, college level uh, where I've coached as well, you can be a bit more kind of in-depth about it. There's various software that's very good in terms of tagging videos and you know, you get Longo Match and Sports Code, that sort of thing. Uh, depending on the level of investment that you want or can put into it, where I think you can, it's useful to see different phases of play. So maybe you'll just tag all the set pieces, or you'll tag uh, playing out from the back, or, or whatever it is that you want to see, and you want to see over and over and over again. Um, and I think at those levels, it's a bit easier, and it can be done with relatively little manpower. Uh, you know, the old fashioned way is still very applicable as well, where you just watch the video with a notebook and note down at this time, this happened. And then you can go back and kind of look at your similar notes and, and look at all those time, uh, those time periods again. Um, so there are different ways, I think, that this can be done at any level rather than thinking, oh, I need to be Bielsa and I need to have a staff of 50 or however many he has and, and produce all these reports and everything. Because, again, limited time, limited resources, what you should be producing is just the important stuff, not necessarily all this extraneous detail. Final one for you. What would your advice be for a coach who wants to get better in that area? Like for yourself, uh, is there anyone that you follow that and if, works you through some things or inspires you in different uh, different ideas or is there courses that you've taken? Yeah, I think a lot of it just kind of comes from my experience in the game and, and the, the various different, um, different things. Again, it's all based on kind of my game model. So it'll be based on the things that I want to do, the things that I want to see my teams do. Um, but it's just looking for different patterns, um, looking for different, uh, again, whether it's intentional or unintentional, whether a team is doing it on purpose or whether it's just happening. Um, you know, you can go through the different basic structures. So I always look for a basic starting position, whether it's 442, 4231, whatever it is, and then notice different movements off of that. And, and again, a starting point for, for patterns. So if the right winger always, almost always cuts inside, right. Or whether, you know, maybe it's the right winger cuts inside, the left winger stays wide, that sort of thing. So just looking at, you start with a basic framework. The, the framework for me being what's their starting shape, what's their kind of their formation. And then you look for patterns and variations off of that. Um, in terms of people that I follow, um, the, the the internet's great for this kind of stuff. There's no shortage of analysis on there. Some of it good, some of it not so good. But I've found that the the guys at Spiel for Lagerung are very good. So Adin, Osman Basic, I talk to him all the time. Um, very, very lucky. To, to have people like that in my circle who I can talk to. Um, Stevie Grieve is another one. Um, just just Twitter is great for it. The inter- again, the internet is very good for it. And, and different resources can give you different perspectives, which is also great because then you're developing a more complete picture rather than just uh, focusing on one, one aspect. 
yeah, it's great to see those people. Stevie, I mean, Adine's just yeah. The the quality that Adine puts out is phenomenal. It's good to see Stevie and and Eric Tanalo and Ollie Oliver Gage put out courses on this as well. Yeah. Okay. For you, in your experience, you went to similar to myself, done your coach education in Belfast as well with the IFA. What level of analysis was there? Was there any? So I, I just finished my UEFA B in, in Belfast. I'm going to go back and start the A license this summer. And uh, the, the B license was, was pretty limited in the match analysis. There was some, um, I remember you had to watch a couple of games of your own team and you had to mark, uh, basically tally marks in different different areas, um, whether it was, you know, playing through the middle or play, I don't remember exactly what the, what the different uh, the different aspects were that they asked you to look for. Um, but then based on that, you, you then had to come up with a, a plan for your team in terms of, okay, it looks like we struggled in this area. Here's how I'm going to try to fix that or address it in a certain number of training sessions. So it was pretty basic. I, I think the A license gets more in depth into it. Um, and then obviously if you, if you take these different, analysis focused courses now i think that would um, that would give you a, a greater level of detail into it i think the basic basic the 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 normal licenses you would think of in terms of the uefa the ussf and, and those ones they're more focused still on the coaching and being the on field and how do you get your team to do this and that and how do you interact with the players and what are your coaching mechanics and i think the analysis piece is something that Obviously, it's very useful, but I think is still we're still developing in that area in terms of the the educational piece of it. Leave you. Thank you so much. Enjoy that. Yeah, thanks very much. Thanks so much to leave you for his time and his insight there. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I usually give my views at the end of the podcast, but in that one there, I wanted to jump in and get a chat going halfway through it. So, yeah, I would love to hear your thoughts at Gary Kernin on Twitter, at Gary Kernin on Instagram. Let me know if you agree. Let me know if you disagree. I thought he was honest enough and confident enough to, to say that what he did in his analysis and also what he didn't do he didn't pay particular attention to certain parts of the opposition and like I said in the podcast I think people were lining up to kind of prove that they did this and they did that but I would just challenge and encourage coaches to make sure I said it on on my Facebook post Bielsa focus on the marginal gains is just unbelievable but he he is successful because he takes care of the maximal gains works with his team his training is unbelievable the tempo that he works at the intensity he has every day that you hear about is phenomenal and that's why he's successful not because of every scouting report but because he aligns the scouting report with an unbelievable environment so yeah let me know what you think look forward to hearing from you thanks for listening Have a great weekend. Enjoy. Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com.